This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. At the end of the day, we talk about all the things we need to do in life, and there's a lot that we need to do to support children and families. If we can love all children as our children, let me tell you, it would be a totally different world. And it doesn't mean that you have to love them the same, but if you close your eyes and just imagine these other children as your own children and what you would want as a parent to support you, I think that we could sort of guess what kind of society it would look like. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Parent Nation, unlocking every child's potential with our guest, Dr. Dana Suskind. Dana is founder and co-director of the TMW Center for Early Learning and Public Health, director of the Pediatric Cochlear Implant Program, and professor of surgery and pediatrics at the University of Chicago. Dr. Suskin is the author of over 45 scientific publications and 30 million words, Building a Child's Brain. She's a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics and a fellow for the Council on Early Childhood. She's an advisor to Hillary Clinton's Too Small to Fall initiative, and her work has been profiled by numerous media outlets, including the New York Times, The Economist, Forbes, NPR, and Freakonomics. And very, very exciting, she has a new book that we're going to be talking about this morning called Parent Nation. Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're this totally aligned. Um, and, and as I was reading the intro, I'm thinking more and more about the intro as we're going to get into about what you educate us about in order to be purposeful in order in order to seek a fulfilling life there's more behind the scenes that really needs to happen to support parents we're going to talk a lot about that um you surgeon professor researcher author and now um well activist and movement builder and movement maker what a ch- tell us tell us about that journey. You know, really, I you you missed a couple important things: mother and yes, concerned true. citizen who true. loves 
children and care deeply about the parents and caregivers of this country. Um, you know, the truth is, is that I, I think of myself actually as just a, a physician, not just a physician, but a physician who sees her role in not just you know, taking care of one patient at a time, but seeing all the things out, you know, the contextual aspects of this world and this life that really allow all children to thrive and more importantly, to allow parents to do what all parents want to do, which mm-hmm. is raise happy, healthy children with intentionality and joy. Yes. yes. And as your book goes into depth, um, several reasons in America particularly why that is very, very difficult. Uh, Systemic reasons, uh, policy reasons, uh, socioeconomic reasons. And you learned early on that something that's been talked about in a small way is the largest, the largest, the most important thing and that is the North Star. You talk about the North Star and, and, and building young brains. At what point in your career did you realize, having worked on brains for a very long time now with little children, <laughs> when did you realize, like, oh my gosh, this is the single most important thing for health and for our future? Yeah. Well, you know, really my work which began in the operating room was about allowing all children the ability to thrive and specifically children born with hearing loss. I'm a cochlear implant surgeon and um, early in my career started giving the amazing ability to hear to children who had been born deaf and started seeing just huge differences in their outcomes. And in trying to figure out why this was, and more importantly, what I could do about it, I came upon this incredibly rich body of literature that showed how important those first three to five years of life are, how important parents and caregivers are to allowing children to reach the promise of their promise, and that these differences that I was seeing you know, in my children with hearing loss really reflected a much larger mirroring of society, that to allow all children to thrive and to to allow all parents to thrive, we need to put the healthy development of children as our North Star. And amazingly, everything else falls into place. The support of parents and caregivers and really aligning our values with what we do in this country. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to to say it and then the fundamentals of what go in to for a parent to be present, <laughs> to have time, to um, be able to manage the stress of their own life, whether it's financial, um, geographic, name it, and then be present for their kids to do the work that you have researched and found, your three T's, like all of the things that it takes to be present. So much of this was a way it's just it's not entirely in parents control right i want to talk a little bit about that what you think about that 
Yeah. Well, you know, what was amazing is that, you know, as I mentioned, I saw these differences. And so I started the center, the TMW Center for Early Learning and Public Health at the University of Chicago. And as its sort of focus in North Star, it was really to share this powerful science with parents and caregivers about the importance of language and interaction and nurturing interaction to build their child's brain and reach their promise. And as we were working with these incredible families across the south side of Chicago, really across the nation, what I saw were, number one, parents who all wanted to do right by their children. All mm -hmm. parents want the same for their children, to be happy and healthy. Mm -hmm. But then roadblock after roadblock placed in front of families from the mundane of not having paid leave to the obscene of you know the issues of homelessness and mass incarceration. And I realized, gosh... We know so much about what children and families need, but where the disconnect is, is not at the individual level. It's at the societal level. And one of your graphs, which I was watching um, an earlier talk that you just did recently <laughs> for the, Heads, uh, the Head Start Association, is, oh, it's so sad. I mean, of course, there's always Finland and Iceland at the top of the charts. They do a lot of things <laughs> right over there with like 20, average $25,000 a year per child. Is that something like that? And then America yes. is at the bottom with $500 a year, a bottom of a list yeah. of maybe 25 countries. I mean, it's, you know, what only Turkey spends less on their children than the 37 OECD countries out there. Mm. I mean, forget about the fact that we are the only country that doesn't mandate paid family and medical leave, that one in four mothers and fathers have to go back after just a couple of weeks after giving birth. But we spend less on children and families. I mean, from a dramatic standpoint, mm -hmm. it's uh, mm -hmm. we talk a big game, but we don't. We don't always act. So Yeah, I think with our first two of three, um, definitely the first, my wife was back in three weeks. Fortunately, she worked at a child-centered nonprofit, so was able to bring our child, which, you know, that oh, was something. Nice. But the second was similar. <laughs> and it's like, wow, right? And we look back 20 years, and you're just in the grind. You're just like, you're trying to just do it all and um and like you said we know more now we know more yeah but yet we've convinced people and parents that this is a go it alone sort of thing that yes parenting is hard it is absolutely the hardest job and that will never change because we are raising you know little ones who will be the future generations but let me tell you, society and the way it's structured can just make it that much easier, right? I mean, we're, we're not talking about taking over parenting. There's only, right. you know, only parents can parent and know what's best and mm -hmm. have the choices to raise their children as they want. But we make it really hard, no matter what parents yep. choose. Yes. Uh, there is no choice, so... Well, it gets it gets back to the hierarchy of needs, right? Of year, you know, decades ago, like food and shelter. It, it's hard to do anything above the pyramid if you don't have basic needs met. And as you point out in your books, I mean, so a very high percentage of our um, country, unfortunately, do not have their basic needs met and deal with so much adversity. Yeah. Well, you know, I say in this country, we make it hard on all parents and almost impossible for some. Mm -hmm. And 
but it doesn't actually have to be that way. I think we've, you know, in this moment in time, it's, it feels incredibly onerous and polarized, but I feel confident. Um, yes. Yes, that our country is capable of great and positive sweeping change. So, well, our book, your book, is a um, it's a book of hope um, for anyone who you can't see Dana right now, but if you watch her on a video, she, um, she radiates. Uh, she is a person of hope. Her eyes sparkle, and um, you know you're, you're carrying this beacon, and it's you know, is it fair to say that your book became? a manifesto. I mean, it really is a, this is what's going on and this is what we need to do. And this is how we can do it. And we, and we can do this people. I sure hope so from your mouth too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, because the truth is it is, you know, that I love the introduction to your podcast. Um, this is a love letter to parents to, to understand that they, that they don't have to shoulder the burden alone that you know that we can create a nation that really truly values the labor and love of raising mm -hmm. the next generation i really really believe it there are so many incredible parents out there i spoke i spent hundreds and hundreds of hours talking to not just families that we work with and my patients but across this country and from all different backgrounds i want to be clear that right now we feel polarized but there is a universality of parents love for children and no matter their background education race ethnicity political or religious affiliation, there was that universality. And if we can find that connection of love for our children and bring our voices together, great change for good, mm -hmm. great change can come. So. Absolutely. Um, I share your hope. Uh, it, like our, the hope is needed to, to be out there every day. Um, not only in normal times, but in our COVID times, in our polarized times, I mean, it, it's it's not easy. And as you point out in another one of your slides again in this um, your talk that I looked at, and this I hope I hope this gives parents who are listening um, kind of a smile and a nod of your head. So parents, by and large, are often less happier <laughs> than non-parents. <laughs> and on the top of the list is Belgium, and on the bottom of the list of course, is our good old US because of all the reasons we're saying it's hard. So I just, we want to va validate it is hard work being a parent and it's really hard work being a caring, thoughtful, engaged parent too because you're doing double, often triple duty. And again, the show is a lot about focus on oneself to raise happy, healthy, happy, you know, I'm putting in, in quotes really like healthy and engaged yeah. kids and the mission of your work is to support parents in order to do that for their kids. Yeah. And giving themselves a little bit of grace, right? I think mm -hmm. that by understanding, you know, one mother in Talia that I spoke to, who's actually was a PhD, you know, hardcore scientist who left the workforce because as she said, you know, she felt like she was failing in all parts of her life. And, you know, instead of saying, you know, this is a system issue, making it hard on me, instead she internalized this, that it was all her. And if, you know, while, you know, I want, I want this book, as you say, to be a manifesto for change, I also want it to be, give parents the grace that they okay. understand that, you know, 
that they shouldn't have to go it alone yeah. and that it's okay to reach out f- around you for the support because it is hard work, but it is so the labor and love that's going into it is um, mm-hmm. it's invaluable for not just for their children, but for our country. Right. Yes. So, so much of you is in this book and I, I just the respect I have for your journey, and it's a story of both loss personally and then one of hope and of love. And I'm I'm curious if you could tell everyone just a little bit about that story and what that experience as a parent experiencing the loss with your kids shaped you in, in this movement. Yeah. Well, you know. Obviously, I came to this book as a physician, as a researcher, seeing this huge disconnect between what we know children need and what our society does to support parents in reaching those needs. Um, But I also came to it as uh, a mother who, uh, and a wife who lost my, my late husband, Don Liu, who is just an amazing man, um, when my children were relatively young. And the feeling of the fear, uh, you know, the loss of, you know, someone I love deeply and I still love, but also the fear that comes with looking at my three children mm-hmm. and saying, oh my gosh, you know, how do I get them to adulthood? You know, and, and here I'm privileged, right? I'm a physician. I have a job at a roof over my head, but just, you know, the earthquake and the torrents that so often come into our lives and being propped up and, and supported by the invisible, you know, that is invisible to everyone else, the support systems that were around me from our community, our society, and saying, gosh, we don't, none of us parent alone. None of us get through it alone. And the mm-hmm. fact that I want all families, you know, so often we look at other parents and you don't know what's going on in their lives. And it's so easy to sort of see them as the other or judge. But at the end of the day, remembering that, you know, parents all love their children and want the best and wanting mm-hmm. people to see in my story, the story of everyone so many other families who are doing the best that they can and um, seeing us as a collective whole. I'm not sure if that answered the Mm -hmm. question, but yes, Mm -hmm. I lost my late husband, Don Liu, in um, 2012. He drowned saving um, children from Lake Michigan. And uh, yeah, my life has never been the same, but he is always with me. So, Mm -hmm. and with my children. Um. From what you wrote about, he sounded extraordinary. Um, and um, yeah, so I just wanted to comment on that. It was something that was very moving uh, throughout and um, how you brought him and who he was, who he is, the impact on you and the kids um, into the book throughout really um, was meaningful and really puts you, again, physician, researcher, director, um, and parent and human in with all of us on this journey where we all have these same desires, as you point out, for ourselves, for our kids. And we're all living in varying degrees of uncertainty. Um, and, um, you know, 
change and chaos. And um, yeah. I guess this is what we call life. Yeah, it is definitely life. But, you know, I, you know, after Don died, I said, you know, I lost my belief in serendipity because I'd always felt sort of like, oh gosh, you know, how lucky. I always realized and was grateful for the privilege and sort of luck that I had in life. But I said, you know, I lost my belief in serendipity and gained my belief in humanity because mm -hmm. I tell you at that moment in time, you know, the, the, it's sort of like the sound we were enveloped and mm -hmm. it is what allowed myself and my three children to, to, you know, get back on our feet and made a huge mm -hmm. difference. So, yeah. yeah. So brain architects, parents as brain architects. <laughs> um, I love that. So you talk about basically that's our job, the parents job, and in many cases, extended family member and siblings and grandparents and all kin really are the brain architects and that knowledge and belief are the brains architects instruction guide. <laughs> so tell us about that. Yeah, well, you know, you, we're going back to the origins of my research, uh, you know, and my journey as a researcher, really realizing, you know, this profound impact that parents and caregivers, any nurturing caregiver, has on a child in the first three to five years of life. The fact that just through this nurturing back and forth interaction, you are creating the brain's infrastructure for all thinking and learning for the rest of their lives um, is just an incredible feat. And the reason that I think it's important is that so often, especially in our sort of education system and the way we invest societally, we, you know, invest like learning begins on the first day of school. Mm -hmm. But in truth, learning begins on the first day of life. And that's why, you know, not only is it so important, obviously, that parents and caregivers understand this so that they can be their children's first and most important brain architect. But even more importantly, and in some ways, this is the 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 story of the book, that society invests in that way, right? Mm -hmm. If society understands that, you know, parents are the key brain architects and caregivers and early childcare providers are so critical, you invest in architects in a different way than you invest in like, oh, somebody who's just, you know, just playing, right? It it becomes, it has a different level of gravitas. Now, I don't think you should, it should have to be that way for us to invest correctly. But, you know, in my own research, we've shown how important it is for parents and caregivers to understand just how important their language is. And mm -hmm. the fact that parents who understand more about their children's development invest more mm -hmm. and then their children do better. So it all, it all makes sense, but that's where the disconnect comes in. In, in our own society, we say, well, you know, it's a go it alone thing, you know, good luck. We don't share any of this information systematically. Parents are left struggling, you know, with everything else to try to understand how their children develop. And, and we don't invest, you know, we wouldn't be investing the smallest amount of all these 37 OECD countries if we actually believed in the science. And right. The science is clear. So... I remember I'm having a flash over <laughs> 20 years ago, at least 20 years ago, uh, working for a nonprofit and they had this esteemed speaker come in 
to town uh, by the name of Dr. Bruce Perry, who I know that oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know his work very well. Yeah. Um, and I talk about him on the show from time to time, right? Neuro, neuroscientist, a researcher, advocate, trauma specialist. And yeah. back then, back then, he was saying, he was banging the drums. He's like, hey guys, this is how much we spend on adult services in our country. And here's how much we spend on kids. And here's where it happens. And here you are with the torch banging the drum. Like, come on, people. Like, this is, we have, now we have 20 plus more years of science to, <laughs> to back this. And um, so, what have you found the most effective in your advocacy efforts um, in terms of helping people understand this North Star, healthy brain? healthy early brain development as the thing we need to focus on. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, I think that we've, in the last 20 years, I think that this understanding has grown and a lot of people understand it. We just can't seem to muster the public and political will to push it forward. The, f the funny thing is, is that you, if you ask most people, people are like, yeah, this is really important. We should invest in this way. We should allow parents to stay home when they have a newborn child. Yes, we should have quali quality childcare. People are understanding and people, and we need to protect children and families from toxic stress, mm -hmm. right? People are getting it. We just, I've come to the realization, we just have not mustered the public will to push it forward, which in some ways, you know, I hope that your words related to a manifesto that we bring our voices together because look, we can just see what's going on in our country. And you're like, okay, wait, we, we can't even get paid leave through, there, there's a disconnect when everybody wants it. So I've come to the realization, we know it. We just need to bring our voices together. All of your listeners saying, you know, it's not, people aren't, don't naturally think of themselves as activists, right? We're all so busy. But mm -hmm. if we start raising our expectations in a way that, yeah, society should be providing this. We are doing an important thing. We're raising, we're the guardians of the future. We're raising the next generation. So, um, yeah, I think we need to start working on that part because, you know, how much more do we need one more study to show us that parents are important and caregivers are important? I mean, sure, we can. I need more scientific papers, not right, um, right, what we need right, is we need right. we need to act on it. Right. Uh, so right. the science has spoken. And and then how do we get to <laughs> policy and action? Um, you know, you. I didn't remember what year it was, 2004, California, where I am. That's um, when the state, um, the state instituted their paid leave, pregnancy yeah. leave program. How many states in the country have that? Do you know? You know, I, I can't, I, I'll have to look that up for you because I don't want to give the wrong yeah. number. But I can tell you that what's, you know, this since California has done this, you know, people have always said, well, what's the impact on businesses, et cetera. Basically, 9% said that it improved, you know, women coming back to work was a net positive. And 90% said it was a net neutral, like it didn't hurt businesses. I mean, these family-friendly policies, and let me be clear, when I, in this book, I'm not putting out prescriptions, policy, or business, but I putting out this idea that 
all aspects of a society have a role to play in building a parent nation, whether it be mm-hmm. policy, healthcare, you know, businesses. But I think businesses have a huge role to play in pushing forward these ideas, supporting their these ideas, not just because it's the right thing and it's their employees, but it's good for their bottom line. I mean, you just have to look at all the individuals leaving the workforce a lot a lot of times women because of the lack of high quality childcare we can't ask people to make a choice between employment and their children i mean right. you know right. you know it's so i think it's it's a good thing for everyone yes and this 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 goes so far beyond politics and belief systems i mean we're go- when we take a step back and as you point out we're talking about healthy brains produce smarter and healthier people and with um, with r- less chances for depression and anxiety, with increased um, ability with executive functioning and organization and planning. I mean, like a healthy brain <laughs> determines everything. It, it absolutely does. And what's amazing is, especially in those first early years of life, it's not just about, oh, being smart or it's really, as you say, you know, our socio-emotional development, our executive mm-hmm. function, yeah. you know, it is who we are. Yes. Um, the brain comes out pretty underdeveloped and it's really waiting for environment to give it its instruction guides. What is the world that I've been born into so I can wire up accordingly? So it's, you know, when we think about children born into chaotic, difficult situations, you, you know, it, it's not, it's maladaptive for our educational system, but in some ways it's adaptive to deal with this, you know, instructions that life is going to be scary. And in that same way, that is why supporting families so that they can provide the most nurturing, stable environment, that communities are resource so they can provide stability is, it's not just the right thing. It's the smart thing. You are. Right. You know, those first few lives are an evolutionary gift that the universe has provided us. It is why we as humans are, you know, some of the smartest, I mean, you know, of the the species. It's because of those first few years. We're squandering it. And those brains, as you point out, um, born is about one third of adults and then increases to 72% by one year and 83% by age two, (laughs) right? So these brains are meant to be nurtured and grown. I mean, from an evolutionary perspective, like this is how it works. Exactly. I mean, it is quite amazing how how it occurred right i mean the reason you could say well why why did it happen this way um people you know scientists think that you know why were children born 
too early, right? People talk mm-hmm. about the fourth trimester. It's because if our, you know, it's because if our brains were as big as that they needed to be, right, mm-hmm. they wouldn't fit through the birth canal. And I can tell you, any mother is very happy about that. Yeah. Or, you know, the, you know, the brain uses so much energy, it would outstrip the mother's ability to provide it. Mm-hmm. So the universe did a trade-off. They said, okay, we're going to get this baby out early, but we're going to expect the environment and society to nurture it so it gets to what it should be. So we're we're not talking about anything other than giving a child the promise of their promise, right? This is mm-hmm. what they deserve mm-hmm. um, and fulfilling it. You wrote, real essential change will occur only when there is a concerted collective national effort to bring it about. What we need is to recognize that we can lighten the parenting load by sharing it, by demanding what we require, and by asking society to help. What we need is to see the power in coming together as parents and as a nation to help all children. Yes. Okay. So, so (laughs) bring it on. So like, so what do we start to do? And, and And I know these are big questions, but I'm thinking about micro and macro. I'm thinking about the parent who's listening to this in the car, who's at home, who's at work, um, on a break, whatever, thinking, okay, what am I going to do with my kid? And then on a larger level, wow, this is huge. What do I do? Yeah. Well, listen, you know, there, there are many things to do, but I'm going to start with something easy. I'm, I would like people to start realizing that they don't have to and shouldn't be expected to go it alone. That society has a powerful role, and I just don't mean policy, but all of society has a powerful role in supporting them. I know that sounds like sort of a cop-out, but I think that one of the major issues is that we've convinced people because of, you know, whether it be this, you know, American individualism or whatever, that this is something that asking and expecting help is a form of weakness and just the opposite. So if we can start getting people to realize like, yes, I'm doing something important, that's a first important step to change. You know, and looking at other parents as allies, not just you know, people in their friend group, but looking across the street and seeing someone who may come from a very different background and with empathy and and openness, see them as, you know, someone who is doing, trying to do exactly the same as they are with or without the resources. So those are sort of the shifting in sort of expectations and collective identity. And then what to do? I mean, you know, there are so many parts of society that we can sort of push forward to change. I mean, we're starting a website that will go live. Um, Well, I guess it's going to be when, when it, it'll probably be live now. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, Phil. So, um, and then parents, you know, we are actually putting together a website and campaign associated with this book, um, uh, where we're putting forth uh, sort of resources if parents want to come together as a book club or as villages to sort of find the things in their own communities that they want to see different, um, and start this, you know the language of change for for the better. Um, You know, look, parents are busy and I don't, I, what I don't want this book to be is one more thing to be on their shoulder. Like, oh my gosh, I have to do this and this. Um, But, you know, starting to think in this way and banding together, we will, we will hopefully see significant change. Mm -hmm. I I think in terms of 
like one message here is you you're not expected to go it alone like you can't go it alone it's hard to go it alone it's hard to do it when you have some res- when you have support and resources and i think if we all can give ourselves that compassion and that understanding to live one's own life while raising another humans and guiding them to the fullest that is a lot and it doesn't happen in a vacuum and so that acknowledgement that that this is a systemic situation that has consequences and that not only are parents brain architects, we're also societal architects. I mean, we're humans, all who, with awareness, with conversation, with action, can start to see things differently and do things a little differently. Yeah. Here, here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want to go back to, this is now for the young parents listening, or parents, that, yeah. well, they might be young parents, you might not be young parents, parents of young children. Um, I just want you to say, please, a little bit about your early research and, you know, foundational in your center, the three T's. And talk sure. about the three T's, because that's so actionable, um, and, yeah. and how critical those T's are for those first few years of life. Yeah, yeah. So... As mentioned, when when I started the center, the TMW Center, uh, really with the foundational idea that I wanted all parents to understand this powerful science that showed that they are the key brain architects of their children. Um, look, the re- there's so much research out there that, you know, I could fill, you know, 10 binders, but we really culled it down to what the core elements are for building a child's brain. Um, Tune in, talk more, take turns. Tuning into your child, following your child's lead, seeing what they're interested in, talking about it, using rich language, talking about the past, the future, the present, um, and then taking turns. I think taking turns in some ways is one of the most powerful T's. It's really viewing your child as a conversational partner from day one. And a lot of parents say, well, how can I have a conversation with my baby? I mean, they don't even talk. The truth is, is that they, they are set up to have a conversation from day one with their eyes, with their responsiveness. And those three T's, tuning in, talking more, taking turns are really what you can use, you know, in everyday life to build your child's brain, you know, mm-hmm. doing the laundry. I mean, I don't want you to sit down, you know, we're, we're all busy, but whether or not you're changing the diaper, doing the laundry, you know, on the, on the bus or on a ride, you, you can use this, these three T's. Mm-hmm. I always joke that you can use these three T's with your spouse as well. Um, <laughs> make sure. <laughs> That's so, funny. Cause I'm so, a, yeah, yeah, I was going to go, I'm going to go to a uh, uh, older kid soon. So you just jumped all the way up to our, to our spouses. Um, you're also talking about, it's like intention, right? Even if it's two minutes, it's intention to use those three T's in the midst of a lot of stuff to get done, busy lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think in the same way as I want families to give themselves grace, I also want them to know that, you know, when I say, you know, use the three T's, rich language interaction, that it doesn't mean that you have to do it 24-7, right? I mean, first of all, the research isn't clear. It's not, you know, you need X threshold to do it 
children do well playing as well. Sometimes they need time on their own to explore. So, yeah. you know, I don't want people to take it to the, you know, to the extremes, but uh, rather just to see how just from the day one, they are so powerful, which is mm-hmm. so cool. It is so. very cool. Um. I, uh, there's often when I'm having these conversations with experts like yourself, I look back like, you know, we all did the best we can. It's like, gosh, if first of all, in those moments with three young kids, a, all this information was fed in an easy, accessible way and B being able to slow down and internalize it and do it. Like, it's just, we all do the best we can with what we've got, with the information (laughs) we have. Absolutely. I often joke, gosh, if I had known, I mean, remember, I came to this research a little bit later. My children were, you know, almost fully formed. And I would say, gosh, if I had known this when my kids were young. But the truth is, is that, you know, I don't want to say good enough parenting, but really, yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Our kids are gonna, our kids are gonna, our kids are gonna be okay. I think it's more the societal issue, and even my first book, which thirty million words, building a child's brain. People took it as sort of a how-to book, which I didn't actually intend it to. It was more of a societal book, like how how can we ignore this powerful science and have this disconnect? But yeah, look, our kids, you know, love your kids. Know that you're going to mess up. Trust right. me. Um, yes. That's why yes. we all go gray eventually. Yes. And, you know, we just keep keep pushing yes. forward. So I just want to say one thing about the good enough parent, because I'm really glad you said that. For listeners, there's this um, eminent psychoanalyst, W.D. Winnicott, who came up with the concept as the good enough mother, the good enough parent, ultimately, after all of this research looking in nurseries and it was like, we we just have to be good enough to raise a healthy person. And I, I say that to take this pressure off of us, all that, like, we have to do it just as you heard me doing to myself just a little while ago. Like, we have to do, we don't want to harm our kids. And we want to do the best to nurture their growth. And um, if you're listening to the show, that's your intention, right? That's what your intention is. You're trying to grow. You're trying to get information to raise a healthy human. And I'm sorry. And just to add to that, if I had a magic wand where I could either change the societal structures so it actually were supporting families, or change each individual parent so they understood the brain science, mm-hmm. you know which one I would choose. Yeah. It would be change the magic wand for the societal structures because right. within every parent, they want to do the right thing. They can do the right thing, right? We're hardwired to nurture our children. It's just the societal barriers have a larger impact than I think than we realize. So, so I think the idea of good enough parent is absolutely true. But there's mm-hmm. not right now. We don't have a good enough society. We we make it. There is no. We we do nothing. Yes. Yes. And let's let's get it to a good enough society, and then we'll be in we'll be in business. Okay, I like that. I really like that. We need to have a good enough society. Um, and it is D.W. Winnicott. I might have switched that around to W.D. Uh, Dr. Winnicott. Okay. Um, yes, a good enough society. Well, that's the mission of Parent Nation. Right? I mean, like, like how would you define... Uh, this is my the background mission, is to have a good enough society. Um, how would you describe the mission of Parent... The movement of Parent Nation? 
Yeah, Parent Nation is, look, it's an ideal. It's not a, a, a thing. It's an ideal where you have a nation that truly values and supports the labor and love of parents and caregivers so that all children can thrive. Um, and it includes not just policies, it includes every sector of society, from parents themselves to businesses, to healthcare, to policymakers. We all have a role in raising the next generation. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So much to do. So much to do. Okay. <laughs> no. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wheels are turning here. Okay. So um, if you could, the one, the one thing question, if you could give parents one thing to focus on today, this week, something actionable in any way, shape or form, what would you say? So, uh, you know, an actionable thing. I think, you know, number one, I want them to look at their child, look at themselves, you know, have, you know, put the three T's in action, um, while at the same time remarking to themselves, oh my gosh, I am nurturing a little one who is going to make this world a better place and pat themselves on the back. Um, and then in terms of building this idea of a parent nation, I'd love for them to think about what, how they'd like to see a parent nation, right? A parent nation can look many different ways. And for them to sort of self-reflect, how could society better support them? Write it down, tweet it out, and say, look, this is what we need to do to build a parent nation. Yes. So on the one hand, focus on your child. Focus on those three T's. Focus on the wonder that the wonder of this uh, opportunity uh, that you're given to raise this human um, as a privilege, even when it's hard. And for Parent Nation to put out there, we have so many mechanisms of social media to put things out there, to put intention out there about here's what you'd like to see. Here's what you'd like to see at your community, at your child's school. Here's what you'd like to see with other parents. And start this conversation because we know all change occurs when there is enough momentum. And so what you're doing is you're, you're driving this bus. You're putting this out there. And I know not just you. I know you have a team um, of people oh, yeah. yeah, that you're driving this bus. It's like, this is a movement. Let's get this thing going. Let's talk about it. I think that's the thing. Let's talk about what is really going on and what we need to, to, to obtain a good enough society to raise healthy humans. Yeah. Oh, Dan, you're so awesome. <laughs> you know, this is my first actual, you know, real live nice. Parent Nation interview. Yeah. And you are not have not only been an amazing interviewer, but you're all, you're all, you you actually you're quite amazing. So I want to well, thank you for, for your kindness, you, but actually pushing forward my thinking. Because the truth is, is that we just need to, you know, people are going to say, oh my gosh, this is so much. But we just need to start putting it out there, manifesting it, expecting yep. more, having yep. the term, we need a parent nation, I think puts out there that we need to do better and we yes. can do better. So thank yes. you. Yes, yes, 
<laughs> okay, Dana, it's time for the parent footprint oh, no. moment question. You got this. And we don't know which what's going to come out, but it's going to be something meaningful. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids' lives, or those you love. All right. So this is a really hard question. I mean, there are obviously many moments in time, but um, August 5th, 2012, we just had come home from the beach in Lake Michigan, uh, where, as I mentioned, Dawn had drowned um, after trying to save uh, the children. And I was in our master bedroom, but this time we had pulled, you know, the three single bed, you know, another bed and like all the three children were with me. And I thought, gosh, you know, how, you know, it was complete chaos and pain. And it was at that moment in time that I sort of, I talk about this in the book, that I felt like I, it was not just all on me, but I, I realized that my role as a parent was to get them to the other side, to the other side into adulthood, happy, safe, and stable. And that was the only thing that I had, could think about. And, and that was my role. And From that moment when I thought, oh, it's all on me, which I still, it still is ultimately always all on you. Mm-hmm. It was then that I was able to see actually all the surrounding supports that I had that that would help ferry me across this torrential, you know, mm-hmm. life in to get my kids to be happy and healthy. And, uh, you know, I don't know if, this is what you're looking for, but there's nothing like, you know, this, this horrible thing to happen to you to allow you to really see what it all means Mm -hmm. and what our role is. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if, was this what you were looking for? I don't know. It was, uh, it was the most, it was the most, uh, impactful thing of my life, I think. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Thank you. And I mean, that that is a parent footprint moment. I mean, the day that you could tell us the time, you could tell us exactly what those beds in that room. And I know from reading the book, the images of um, and the memories and um, it forever changes. It forever changes um, you and your kids. And I um, it's just courageous to talk about that that pain and that loss and uh, to share it with others. So, so others can benefit from, from your experience. Um, We like, we can't choreograph this stuff. Like it just, this life often happens. And um, then like we, we do our best. Yeah. And it's the purpose, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's having this greater purpose of raising our little ones and helping all children to thrive, honestly, that got me through this life. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I always say, you know, I would have loved nothing more than to curl up in a ball and just yeah. not gotten up. Right. Right. But we have no choice, right? I mean, our yeah. the love for your children and 
like you, like everyone, it's a visceral yeah. love. I mean, yeah. oh my gosh, you know, yeah. even, even now that they're semi-adults, you know, yeah. there's nothing that you love more, but that purpose is, yeah. you know, makes this yeah. life meaningful as hard as it is. Yes. Let me tell you, as we know, it is yeah. hard. It so. is hard, meaningful and at times very painful and yeah. uh, all, but it's, it's meaning, right? It's all about the meaning that comes in all different um, yeah. emotions, all different emotions. Yeah. Could I add one more yeah. thing? And you, yeah, yeah. You may not, you know, it, at the end of the book, uh, I know you, you know, I have the epilogue, you know, in some ways. I was going to ask you about that. that. I, 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 I didn't <laughs> know that. I'm so glad you're bringing that up because I didn't <laughs> want to guide this all with like, okay, happy ending, but this is important. So thank you for, for adding this. Yeah. Well, you know, in some ways, um, you know, for the audience who haven't read it, I, you know, I was lucky enough that a wonderful man came into my life. I actually say that he was, I really believe that in some ways, as silly as it sounds, I think that Don sent him to me. Mm -hmm. um, his name was, his name is John, John List. He's an economist. And, you know, the epilogue, partially because I felt so guilty because Don, my wonderful late husband is yes. throughout the, the the body of the book, but mm -hmm. it really ends with this idea that John taught me something else. He's an economist. And I joke that they, you know, they make models, not they don't date models, but they mm -hmm. make models. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. really showed me at the end of the day um, what it's all about. Um, he. Mm. He, his love for, obviously his love for me, but his love for my children yeah. um, really showed me that at the end of the day, we talk about all the things we need to do in life. And there's a lot that we need to do to support children and families. But if we can love all children as our children, let me tell you, it would be a totally different world. And it doesn't yeah. mean that you have to love them the same, but if you close your eyes and just imagine these other children as your own children and what you would want as a parent to support you. I think that we could sort of guess what kind of society it would look like. And um, so, yeah, so yeah. I'm yeah. learning at every moment. So thank yeah. you for letting me share that. I, and I, um, I was so happy for you at the end of the book and uh, I am <laughs> so happy for you and your kids um, and your multiple you. kids. I know a blending of, yeah. um, of, of families, which is sounds wonderful. Yes, yes. And you still look young and vibrant with so much energy, people. You should see her. Um, it's, it's, I think you, uh, you're fueled by your mission and your passion and your, uh, your, your purpose. Yeah. That is true. Well, thank you. It's been so much fun. It's been Too awesome. much fun. It's been awesome. Okay, so... Dr. Dana Suskind, tell everyone where they can find your book as it is released and learn more about uh, the Parent Nation movement. So you can go to parentnation.org to learn more. And we're going to have tons of resources that you can download for a book club or if you want to put together a parent village to push forward change. Um, I did want to mention that all... All proceeds come back to the mission, so you can feel good about that. And just go to social media. Get the conversation going. We need to yeah. build a parent nation. Um, yeah. We need yeah. to 
to push forward. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much. Everyone, uh, we're all a part of Parent Nation now. As of right now, we are all a part of the movement. Anything you do, anything you put out there, anything you talk about, it's all part of making this world a better place. Yes. All right, everyone. That ends our meaningful conversation with Dana. Thank you so much for listening, for your five-star reviews, for sending these episodes to people you know will benefit, and for being a part of our community. And if you want more of Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, check out our bonus episodes once a month exclusively on Stitcher Premium. To listen, just go to stitcherpremium.com slash Dr. Dan, click start free trial, select a monthly plan and sign up with the code Dr. Dan, and you'll get a month of free listening. Ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.